one of my favorite things to do uh, is to go with my family to Colorado. Um, we have people there that bless us with their cabins from time to time and things like that. And it's really fun. And uh, I wanted to read this quote. It's from Dan Allender. It says, imagine if someone were to offer you the opportunity to take a deep breath of mountain air on a cool August morning or the choice to inhale a cloud of dark and oily diesel exhaust fumes. Every time we turn from God, we inhale the dark fumes of diesel fuel. It's Dan Allender. So we have choices. We have this choice here, which is kind of the beautiful mountain air on the cabin, on the lake. I didn't even know there's a little church in there. There's a little church in there. That's awesome. Or to turn and to just be in the mundane day-to-day -day breathing in the smog. Um, this week, this Sunday actually begins uh, the portion of our You Are Not a Machine series where we dive into the idea of rest and Sabbath and more than that, God's Sabbath. Um, the Sabbath that he draws us to, the Sabbath that is refreshing and that rejuvenates our spirits and energizes our hearts for what's ahead. Um, we've also been talking in the past five weeks, five, six weeks, of, about the idea of work and how do we do work? How do we do work well? How do we redeem the work that was broken from creation? And then also got to talk a lot about Jesus and the way that he, through his life, redeemed work for us. And so it's really exciting for me to get to talk about rest because uh, um, I don't always plan my naps, but when they happen, they're awesome. Uh, and uh, does anyone else wake up super hot after naps? I don't know. It just it bothers me. I don't know. Weird note about Jake. Sweats after naps. Cool. Um, but the idea of rest, the idea of stopping, the idea of Sabbath sometimes can bring anxiety to certain folks and excitement to others. And so that's the idea that we're going to jump in today. How do we have a right and heavenly and biblical view about Sabbath? So let me pray for us, and then we will jump in to God's Word. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for a moment where um, we're going to offer ourselves up. Um, for you to teach us about Sabbath and how you created rest um, and how you love rest and how you in rest desire to draw us nearer to you, um, nearer to the person of Jesus and nearer to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, thank you for this time. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's dive in. Bibles. Uh, we're going to go to Genesis 1. We're going to start there. Uh, and the reason we're going to start in Genesis 1 is because what I want to do is kind of outline for y'all and have us read together. Uh, I'm sorry, Genesis 1 verse. We're going to be uh, verse 28. Um, outline uh, what was asked of Adam and Eve in the garden and what they were supposed to do, what their work was. So Genesis 1. 28. And it says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, this is what they're to do, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth 
and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds, the heavens, and every living thing that moves on earth. So this is the first kind of picture of what it, uh, what it is for man, for man and woman, uh, to work. That was what their job was in the garden, right? It was to be fruitful. It was to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to have dominion, to live in the presence of God's creation and not simply be a bystander, but to be an active participant in what he was doing and what he had done and what he had created. So I want you to remember this language. Okay, That's why I highlighted these certain words. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Now let's flip over to our main text for today, Exodus 1. We're going to be in verses 6 through 14. Exodus 1, verse 6 through 14. And again, I want you to remember those words, the, the calling of God's people in the garden, what they were called to do as we read through this scripture here. Starting in verse 6, Then Joseph died. So earlier in this year, we know that Joseph was taken against his will to Egypt, but God used him in a mighty way. Right? Then Joseph died and all his brothers and all that whole generation, so they're all gone. They've all passed on. Okay? So it's been a long time that they've been in Egypt. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Okay, eyes up here. Do you see how the Genesis story is continuing on? How God's plan is always for his people to live inside of those big, important words that we had seen in Genesis, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to have dominion. That's always our call, whether we are in the perfect communion of the garden or in a foreign land. Let's keep going. We're going to start in verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. So he didn't know Joseph. That means almost positively that he also did not know the God of Joseph either. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So in Genesis, we have this image of the, what is in reality the perfection of work, the perfection of the human form interacting with, quote-unquote, labor, with God, not against him. Uh, and then we have just one book later, 
the image of God's people after the fall, being in a place under a king that is not their own, being under the whip and the shackle of taskmasters, and having been made slaves. Last week, uh, Drew mentioned just real briefly, he's like, oh, I don't really ever mention the title of my sermons. And that rang true. I was like, I've never actually said what the title of my sermon was in the week that I preached it. But this week's message is Pharaoh in your bones. Pharaoh in your bones. In the mid to late 1800s, there was a popular saying that came about and said, you may have Jesus in your heart, but you still have your grandfather in your bones. And that was the reality that, yes, I am heart and spirit and mind a changed person, but it does not negate the fact that I came from broken people, right? And so we as believers coming from a people of God also have this lineage of brokenness, this lineage of toil, this lineage of hard backbreaking work that we feel is our identity, when in reality that is not the identity that God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ calls us to come into communion with. The key idea here is that we have so many things in our lives that keep us from experiencing God's true, restful Sabbath for our lives. In Exodus, we read that God's people were ruled by taskmasters who ruthlessly kept them focused on work and production. The big question for us today is, what are those taskmasters in our lives? And there's going to be two main pools that these taskmasters come from. One is going to be our external taskmasters, the things that press against the Sabbath and the rest that God has for us that come from us externally. And then we're going to have other taskmasters that are internal to us, the things that we believe about ourselves, the things that we've been told about ourselves, about our identity, about how we should feel about things, about our emotions, about what we should believe. On Thursdays, we have a preaching cohort. And it's it's a time uh, once a week where the person who is tasked with preaching in the morning takes their uh, sermon and gives it to some other folks, and they get uh, basically two hours to critique and talk through what's going to be preached. And what about this idea? What do you think about that? Well, I think that should go there, but maybe we changed the idea. We massaged it a little bit. One of those things this Thursday was that I brought up the idea that capitalism is one of the key roots to us as Americans feeling like we have to produce and work. Um, My wise sister Tiff said, it's not capitalism, it's toxic capitalism. It's capitalism that's tainted to the nth degree. It's capitalism that says, you're not a child of God, you are a machine that is supposed to produce, do that. And that your worth is in the size of your house, the size of your paycheck, the clothes you wear, you have the right car. That's toxic capitalism. True capitalism in its, in its purest form is a producer of great fruit across the world. But we, as broken humans, get it wrong. So you might have Pharaoh in your bones if... What I'm going to do is I 
I ask the Holy Spirit to bring to me things that I've said to myself before that tie directly to Pharaoh in me. The idea that I'm supposed to produce, that I can't stop, that I cannot enjoy God's Sabbath rest for me. The first one is, if I rest, I'll know I'll just feel guilty for not doing enough. I don't need raised hands, but feel the emotion that comes up. Feel what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you as these sentences, as these statements come up on the screen. They all ring true for me. I'm guessing one of them is going to ring true for you. Another reason you, um, another way you might know is by the statement, uh, I'm wanting to always, or I'm, yeah, I'm wanting to always have fun, and it isn't the same as always wanting to do work. I can't stop having fun. I can't stop pursuing uh, pleasure. Uh, and it's different from work, because work is work. I, I'm having fun. But the question with this statement for me is always, are you using fun as a way to keep yourself from thinking about the things that are really important, that God's really putting on your heart? Next, if I stop to rest, others will pass me by. This one does tie directly back to, in my opinion, toxic capitalism and the idea that I can't stop because if I do, I will lose. Others will take the victory card from me. Next, how will those around me be able to function without me if I stop? I'm the leader. If, if I'm not at the helm, this boat will run aground. Is that you? Lastly, and this kind of ties to one of the other ones, but if I rest, then I will be confronted with all of those things that I don't want to think about. All of these apply to ourselves, keeping busy with any number of things, fun, play, activity, work, hobbies, family. Just so we can keep from having to think about the real, important, and deep things of our souls, the longing that we hide for one reason or another. We are terrified of what we might discover about ourselves if we stop long enough to listen to our spirit. God has wonderful gifts for you if you would just stop long enough to listen to what he is saying to you. But if we don't enter into the idea of a Sabbath rest, an idea that God said, yeah, on the seventh day, I did a little bit of work. I created Sabbath. And then he said, I'm going to step back and I'm going to take pure delight in what I've created. But if we don't do that, if we don't make that effort to internally try to figure out what rest and Sabbath really look like, then we'll never be able to stop and feel at peace, feel safe about entering into those difficult things that we know are inside of us, deep inside of us, that we might be scared of, that we might be anxious about, that you might be stressed out about. I have this illustration um, of it came to my mind when I was thinking about this because the idea is that uh, God has redeemed what Pharaoh ruined, right? And so the idea is that he's saying, hey, this whole seventh day 
thing that's a gift from me to you. And it's a good father giving us a good gift. And the child, I'll even use myself as an example, typically saying, I just don't have time for that right now. And I don't know if it was a few weeks ago or a few months ago. It was during the summer. Uh, it was a hot day. And we pick up Lydia from school at 3.15. And we pick up Isla at 5. So I have an hour and 45 minutes, basically, where I have one kid. And I just love going and having those little adventures with her after I pick her up from school. And uh, so I go and I pick her up. I said, and she gets in the car and I go, we're going on an adventure. And she's like, uh, I, can, I can tell she's like not into it. I go, we're going to lick, which is an ice cream place in the Pearl. And I said, we're going to get your favorite ice cream and then we're going to play in the splash pad. Oh, daddy, I just want to go home three years old. Are you joking me? <laughs> okay. Uh, no, honey. I, I'm like, I'm like in my mind, I'm like, oh, she, there's no way she heard what I said because if she did, we'd be on our way to get ice cream. Honey, what I'm saying is we're going to go get the beet and mint. Yeah. My kid likes beet and mint ice cream. Get over it. But it's like the brightest pink you've ever seen. So that's why she likes it. I said, no, babe, we're going to go get the, the pink ice cream at Lick and we're going to have fun. Ah, Daddy, I just want to go home. And it's weird when a three-year-old can make a 33-year-old feel disappointed. Because I'll go and get some ice cream, too. <laughs> That's really why I was upset. No. But it's just this idea that I'm... How... Can y'all can resonate with me how mind-boggling that is? I'm going to buy it. I'm not asking you to have a job. I have it. I'm, trust me. I got the wallet. We're going... I have this good gift I want to give to you. You don't have to do anything for it. No, I'm good. Hey, I'm your heavenly father, and all I want is for you to take a little time each week to start practicing being in my presence so that I can give you innumerable gifts. I'm set. Because I can, I can use that time to answer these emails. The laundry won't do itself, God. <laughs> that's, that's real for us. Um, I can't stop long enough to be with you because I have too much to do. C.S. Lewis, I, I, I purposely didn't make this a slide because I want to read it over y'all. And, and the crazy thing is that this quote has been mentioned I don't know how many times since um, we've been here at Gathering Midtown from the pulpit. It's really great, great quote from Clive Staples Lewis, CS. Um, so what I want to do, the reason I'm not putting it on slide up on the screen is because I want you to close your eyes and just let me read this, read it over you. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition with infinite joy when infinite joy is offered us and like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We as humans are far too easily pleased. 
The point here is this, and this I will put on the slide because it was given to me and I want to give it to you. God is far more interested in being with you than what you can produce for him. Okay? I read that wrong, but you get the idea. God is far more interested in your, in being, in your being with him than what you can produce for him. We have such a hard time stopping for long enough to let our own internal thoughts be processed by the Holy Spirit and letting him hand us good gifts for free. All he's asking is for us to stop. So the question here in closing is, what are the mud pies that you keep wanting to make while God is calling you to a holiday at sea? Where are those moments in your life where where you're saying, no, I would just like to go home when free ice cream is right in front of you? Because of the way that we're taught about work and productivity in America, it is sometimes very difficult for us to grasp the idea of Sabbath as Westerners. And so this week, I have four different application questions that I want y'all to dig into. Um, And I hope they bear fruit, and I know through the Holy Spirit they will. So the first one is, can you name and journal about one, one internal or external obstacle that keeps you from Sabbath rest? I debated on whether to put the word journal in there because I know that the connotation with journal is sitting down at a table with a pen and a journal and saying, dear journal. The idea here for me, this is how I use journals. They are, they are uh, treasure chests where I put my most precious thoughts into. So if you have uh, anything pushing up against you and the idea of having a journal, writing in a journal, writing your thoughts down, just know that it is one of the most um, fruitful things you can do for your emotional and thought life and prayer life as well. So that's number one. Number two, once this week, schedule intentional time for Sabbath and trust God with that time and watch for how he shows up. So for some of y'all, that's going to look like, hey, this hour that I typically set aside for Bible study, use that hour just a little bit more intentionally with the idea that I am seeking the Sabbath rest of God in this time and and listen for what he speaks to you. For others of y'all, that's going to mean for the very first time and maybe a very long time, setting aside 10, 15 minutes of your day, maybe at the end of the day, where you say, I don't know how to do this, but I know I trust God. So I'm going to give you 15 minutes of my time. He, he is delighted in that. He will be happy with that. He'll meet you there. Okay? Number three, take time to become aware of what emotions pop up regarding rest and Sabbath and write them down. Because if we go back to some of those statements that we read earlier about you might have Pharaoh in your bones if hey, if I stop uh, to rest, then others will pass me up. Because all these other people over here in the company are taking care of work between the hours of 5 and 9 p.m. Well, maybe God's not calling you to do that. So what are those, what are those emotions that are popping up? Is it anxiety? Is it fear? Is it stress? 
Is it worry? Is it an un, a sense of uneasiness that I don't know how to do it and I don't know how to do it well? Because if you're at the point where you're saying, I don't know how to do Sabbath, you've missed the point. Because Sabbath is about sitting in the presence of the Father and just being able to experience His delight. And number four, share what comes up and process it with someone over a cup of coffee or a meal. Um, another thing that we talked about at preaching cohort this past week was the idea that some of us have the tendency to do the journal thing. Okay, I got the thoughts from here to here to here. Success. But then you shut that cover and it never comes out again. Take those thoughts to safe people, those emotions, those feelings, those prayers, and share them. And let the Holy Spirit work between you and the, your trusted people, your friends and your family, and let them speak to you into those words that you're writing down and that you're processing. Um, these are some big questions and some big tasks to kind of dig into this week. And so I want to reiterate that, that this work and the work of Sabbath is not about doing, it's about just being present with the, with the Holy Father. Just allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you, letting Jesus show up and minister to you and disciple you in this time. Um, you know, and, and also just the idea that Sabbath does not have to look like maybe what a lot of us grew up thinking, which is that you're supposed to have a Bible study. I'm going to sit down at the coffee table with my cup of coffee and my Bible and my journal. And mine is on the Rio Grande River fly fishing. It just is. I, I love writing and I love reading, but with a, with a canopy of a tree over my head, that is my Sabbath. And so let God welcome you into what you find joy in in the Sabbath day. So that's about it, guys. Um, this marks the beginning of a five-week journey for us in the You Are Not a Machine series and with the ideas of rest and Sabbath. And so um, let us pray and um, just welcome God into these weeks where he'll be speaking to us about this idea. Lord, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for your word that you are so amazing in the way that you reveal yourself and the things that you're about time and time again, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from book to book. We pray in these weeks forthcoming that you would meet us in the places where we have taskmasters, the places where we're enslaved, where we do not feel free to be with you, where we do not feel free to enter into the work that you have for us and that you would bring a sense of peace, a sense of connection, a sense that we're safe to be with you and think with you and process with you. We love you. We are excited to meet with you this week. Amen.